KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Good morning, I'm Tebby Cruz. It's hump day. It's Wednesday, June 29th. Local activists react to migrant deaths. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The San Diego County Board of Supervisors yesterday unanimously approved a more than $7 billion budget for the next fiscal year. The budget includes $200 million in additional funding requests for wildfire reduction efforts, hiring more county employees, and park or community center projects. The budget includes funding for additional positions within the county's mental health system, shelters for people experiencing homelessness, and health care in county jails. The new budget takes effect Friday, July 1st. A bill which would allow Californians to hold gun manufacturers accountable is now awaiting the governor's signature. Local Assembly member Chris Ward introduced the bill. AB 1594 would allow individuals, local governments, and the California Attorney General to sue gun manufacturers for harm caused by their products. A San Diego County man was sentenced this week for taking part in the breach of the U.S. Capitol on January 6. Philip James Weisbecker was sentenced to 30 days in jail and two years of probation. In March, he pleaded guilty to a federal misdemeanor for joining the mob that entered the Capitol. Weisbecker spent about an hour inside the Capitol building on January 6, 2021. Two additional San Diego County residents were previously charged in connection with the breach. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. A devastating tragedy. 51 migrants were found dead in the back of a tractor trailer in Texas. This is the deadliest human smuggling case in modern U.S. history. Local activists told KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis that these border deaths are preventable. Activists are blaming migrant deaths on border enforcement policies that block legal pathways into the U.S. while simultaneously making illegal crossings much more dangerous. Pedro Rios is with the American Friends Service Committee. He says policies like Title 42, which prevent access to asylum, leave desperate migrants with little choice. When the U.S. does not allow people to have their asylum rights recognized, it forces them to make drastic and dangerous decisions like getting into a tractor trailer or crossing through the mountains or crossing through the oceans where the likelihood of injury and death increases. According to data from Customs and Border Protection, 557 migrants died while attempting to cross the border during the 2021 fiscal year. It was the deadliest year on record for migrant deaths. Alex Mensing is an activist with the Innovation Law Lab. This is going to continue happening. And so this stark headline of at least 50 people died in a trailer 
let it be a wake up call for people not to say what a horrible thing happened, but we need to do something to stop this from happening. Here in San Diego, there's been an increase in drowning deaths from people trying to swim or use a boat to enter the country. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. Tens of thousands of families throughout California are facing eviction in two days. That's when rent relief eviction protections expire. KPBS reporter John Carroll says tenants' rights groups are calling for action. It's been almost two years since California's eviction protections went into effect. But barring any last-minute action from the state, the protection goes away on July 1st, leaving people like Imperial Beach resident Patricia Mendoza in a slowly building state of panic. This is not only very stressful for me, but it's very unstable for my children. My son is going to seventh grade. He's scared. What happens if we're not going to be living here? Earlier this month, several statewide advocacy groups filed a lawsuit against the State Department of Housing and Community Development. The suit accuses the department of administering relief in a way that is opaque, denies applicants due process upon denial, and disproportionately harms tenants on the basis of race, color, or national origin. Whether a court will step in and help the tens of thousands of Californians set to be kicked out of their homes soon is anybody's guess. John Carroll, KPBS News. San Diego City Council extended a safe parking program for people experiencing homelessness in the region. We go now to KPBS reporter Jacob Baer. He has more on this. San Diego's safe parking program will continue through June 2023 and it soon will provide 24-hour housing, shelter, and services for San Diegans experiencing homelessness at a Mission Valley parking lot. For the moment, the service is only available from 6 p.m. to 7 a.m. On Monday, Natalie Rashke told the city council those hours didn't work for her family, who have been living in a vehicle for the past few years. Six of us are in a van, and that is more comfortable than going to some of the safe lots or shelters that the city has to offer. Jewish Family Services runs the safe parking program, which includes the Mission Valley site and two additional locations in Kearney Mesa. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. California's $300 billion budget deal did not include an increase in wage replacement for workers who take time off for health reasons or to take care of an ill relative, or to bond with a new child. But as we hear from KQED's Farida Jafala Romero, advocates say they're hopeful about further negotiations with Governor Newsom. State disability insurance and paid family leave benefits are paid for by the vast majority of workers in California. You can probably see that 1% tax on your pay stub. All right, so I'm sitting at home with my kids looking at my pay stub, and there's earned income taxes. Oh, there it is. SDI tax. Our money goes into a collective fund. And then when we need to use disability insurance or paid family leave, the state uses that fund to pay most of us back 60% of our wages for a limited time. That's to make sure there's enough money for everyone who needs it. The problem is people who are already living paycheck to paycheck can't afford to take that big of a pay cut, but they're still taxed for the benefits wealthier workers are more likely to use, says Katie Woodchit, an attorney with Legal Aid at Work. 
we know that it's not humane or cost efficient to force back to work new parents, folks who are sick or injured, or their family caregivers before they're ready. But that's exactly what happened to Rosalba Contreras, an administrative assistant in San Bernardino County when she had her second baby. I wasn't able to take my full maternity leave. I wasn't able to take care of myself like I was supposed to or like the doctors wanted. Contreras took only half of the 16 weeks of leave she was eligible for after her C-section, she says. The state sent her less than $1,500 a month while on disability, but her medical bills alone were more than 1000 a month. I had to borrow money from my parents. I had to borrow money from family and friends. She says what pained her the most was that she spent a big chunk of her leave hospitalized because of complications from the C-section without seeing her baby. Then, she was only able to take two weeks at home with her newborn before heading back to work. She cried a lot. And that was very hard. It was very, very traumatic. I wish I would have been able to afford to stay home longer and bond with my baby because bonding with her for only two weeks was really nothing. Sometimes, the consequences of not taking needed time off can be deadly, says Dr. Sharad Jain, a primary care doctor at Sacramento County Health Center. He remembers a Latino dad in his 50s who should have taken disability insurance to get a biopsy, a CAT scan, and treatment, but... He was worried that the rates were too low when he spoke with our social worker, and he said, I have to go to work because if I don't make my full salary, I'm not going to be able to support my family. That patient ended up getting a lung cancer diagnosis too late, says Jane, and the man died prematurely, leaving his kids and family on their own. That's why the doctor supports a proposal by lawmakers to increase disability and paid family leave payments to 70 to 90 percent of people's wages, with the higher rate for lower-income workers making about $57,000 or less per year. I think that would do a huge amount to provide them with the freedom to make decisions that would optimize their health. And for me as a provider, I would love to see that happen because I think that would lead to a healthier community and ultimately lower costs for our system by earlier diagnosis and treatment. Governor Newsom vetoed a similar proposal to boost wage replacement last year, arguing it would cost too much. But this year, the governor's office has been offered a potential fix to raise more funds, getting rid of a cap that allows the highest income earners to stop paying SDI taxes on income beyond $146,000. So right now, people don't pay that SDI tax after they make $146,000. With the new proposal, they'd keep paying it throughout the year, no matter how much they make. Again, here's attorney Katie Woodchett with Legal Aid at Work. So, you know, requiring wealthy people to pay the same percentage as the lowest income workers seems pretty reasonable. Now it's up to Newsom to decide if he agrees. His office declined to comment on the proposal or the negotiations. That was Farida Javala Romero with KQED. Coming up, we meet San Diego Unified's two new student board members. That's next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. 
Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Costco is coming to the Westfield North County Mall. Escondido City Council on Monday approved leasing the former Sears building to the retailer. In the last couple of years, the shopping center has lost some big names like Nordstrom's and Sears, leaving empty storefronts behind. Eric Bruvold with the San Diego North Economic Development Council says the addition of Costco is part of a pattern indoor malls everywhere are experiencing. We've seen this all over the country. Indoor malls are having to rethink themselves and redesign themselves. And one of the challenges that will be with the design, um, or I guess opportunities with the design, is there a way for the Costco to as well integrate with the other parts of the shopping centers? Bruvel thinks the decision to add Costco will create short-term construction work, long-term employment opportunities, as well as generate sales tax revenue for the city of Escondido at a time where the budget faces a deficit. San Diego Unified's first-ever student school board member has graduated. Last night, the board welcomed two replacements. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez tells us who they are. 16-year-old Leah Nepomuceno is one of the new San Diego Unified student board members. She's an incoming senior at Scripps Ranch High School. 14-year-old Matthew Kitoriano is the other new member, an incoming 10th grader at San Diego High School. They replaced Zachary Patterson, who helped create the student board member position he's held for almost two and a half years. We've had the climate strike. We've had protests against racial injustice. We've had protests calling out gun violence and recognizing massacres that are happening in our schools. And action has actually been taken. Patterson heads to Duke University this fall, where he plans to study government and be involved in student politics. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. Wild Song Production staged three shows before the pandemic shut the young company down. But they returned this year with a full slate of shows, including one of my favorites, Jekyll and Hyde, which opens tomorrow night at OB Playhouse. It is a musical based on Robert Louis Stevenson's classic Victorian tale of the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando speaks with actor Cody Ingram, who takes on the dual roles of the well-intentioned Dr. Jekyll and his bestial alter ego. So Cody, you are playing Jekyll and Hyde. So what is that experience like? It's fun. It's very challenging. As an actor, you spend a lot of time coming up with the character and making them real and, and what they want, what they desire. But then you have to do it for two different people and you have to find a way to switch between them 
and not make it look ridiculous. So it's been a wonderful challenge to explore that. When movies do Jekyll and Hyde, they have the ability to do special effects and editing. So when you're doing this transformation on stage, what are you doing and what are those challenges? So when I first read the book, the one thing that jumped out to me was this idea of not so much that the experiment caused Hyde to show up, it was that the formula triggered something that was already inherent within Jekyll. So I worked a lot with like the idea of dis uh, disassociative identity disorder, and that's kind of where the basis of my work began. This idea of in your brain, someone is sitting in the chair, whether that is Jekyll or it is Hyde, and Hyde starts to pull Jekyll out of the chair multiple times as he gets more comfortable and, more, uh, and has more control over Jekyll. So I watched a lot of videos of people switching on camera and, and what that looks like, what that feels like. And that's, that's kind of where I started with my research. And that's really how I am approaching this. So this is going to be more of a like psychological transformation. Yeah, my, my body posture changes and the voice changes. I wanted there to be a way to show that Hyde was an extension of Jekyll. He's not necessarily a totally different person. He's Jekyll. If Jekyll were released and able to explore any inhibition times 200. And this is a musical. Mm -hmm. What's singing this role like? Do you, is the music like very different for Jekyll versus Hyde? Uh, so this musical was written around the same time as like the Popra, so Phantom, Les Mis. So that, that style is very particular to this show. We've really tried to add a lot of modern flair to it, but the, the style is something that I really wanted to honor and I really wanted to stick with. So singing it is actually very similar to where my voice likes to sit. It's a little more popra. It's like a little bit of operatic round tone with some modern flair, add some pop sound in there. And that's kind of where the music generally sits. So it's, it, it's just, it's really fun to mess around with that and to have that kind of ability to explore in that style. Somehow I've got to rebuild all the dreams that the winds have scattered from the fates have shattered I'll retrieve what mattered Somehow I'm staying until the evil has been defeated till my work's completed As an actor, I always ask myself, what do I get to experience today? And it's this idea of stepping into someone's shoes who, who thinks they are so altruistic and someone who is doing something that they feel is for the greater good, but then they become addicted to their own mistake, I guess. And I really wanted to show that Jekyll is not good. He's not evil. He's flawed, like, like most people. And we are still in the pandemic. Uh, what is it like performing a show like this, which has some darker tones and is you know, looking to our dark side and doing that at this particular time? Do you think people are gonna be receptive to that or are they looking more for escapism of a different kind? I think people like to see stories that are truthful. And obviously this show has a lot of stylistic 
motifs on it, but the, the core elements of do we, you know, we choose what, we become what we choose to be is very relevant in, in this time. And we are also really, you know, working with the idea of, you know, the, the, the class system in Victorian London and, and power over the working class and things like that. Those are themes that I think are very relevant today. And also I think people like to enjoy a journey that they can kind of watch from a distance, but experience for themselves as well. So I, I do think that this show has a lot of relevant themes to it. I think it will resonate with a lot of people. That was KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando speaking with actor Cody Ingram. Wild Song's Jekyll and Hyde opens tomorrow at OB Playhouse and runs through July 10th. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I.